welcome into the Aftershock. Going to be a little bit different. Uh, we were planning a bit of a bigger show, uh, and unfortunately, a couple uh, host issues uh, more toward the last second. But let's get started. Alex, how you doing? We had the chance to talk with Lucci Gonzalez and Chris Leach, and then got some extra time for the patrons uh, with uh, Lucci Gonzalez, a video that we put up today for anyone who didn't quite catch it. Um, maybe tonight we'll consider this a part one and we'll try to grab the others, uh, maybe next week and, uh, try to do a part two with uh, a little bit more input, but start us off. What were your kind of impressions from this, uh, kind of Im impromptu almost press conference from Chris Leach and Lucha Gonzalez for kind of an end of season update? Well, it's, it's, it's good to be here with you, Jamin. Uh, first of all, uh, I was, you know, expecting this to be the full, uh, season ending show but we keep getting news the season isn't over we can't have our, our big season wrap show because they keep uh, sending more news our way we were able to speak with uh, Chris and, and Lucci uh, midweek uh, we had uh, a, a big press conference with them and then another separate uh, follow-up conversation uh, you me Robert uh, spoke to Lucci Gonzalez for about 20 minutes and that is available now to all of our Quakes Epicenter patrons so if you need a reason to subscribe to Quakes Epicenter Patreon this is as good a reason as any. 20 minutes uh, with Luchi Gonzalez. We got to dig in on some uh, some juicy topics and then have some fun with him as well towards towards the end. Uh, so if you're if you're curious about knowing uh, who his favorite uh, Halloween costume was this year, uh, that's in the interview. You'll have to and what his Halloween costume was. He, he and what his Halloween costume was. Um, and his wife. And his wife. They they went as a couple. That's right. Uh, it was an up. Let's say it was an upgrade over this usual touchline attire. It was, there you go. <laughs> it was more formal than the, the functional uh, tracksuits he wears on the, uh, the touchline. But uh, I, I will say it was not an impromptu press conference, Jamin. You made it seem like it was out of the blue. I was knocking on the door asking for these uh, press conferences uh, for, for quite some time. So glad that uh, Chris and, and Lucci were willing to speak with us. It was really the first time we got to speak with, with Chris Leach. Uh, since I think that the Matthew Hoppy signing, or even since the signing. So we yeah. hadn't got to talk with him about the Kate Cowell signing. I was pressing him on that. And we got to speak with him kind of about his, his strategy heading into this offseason. We obviously get to speak with Lucci, you know, fairly frequently throughout the season, uh, but it was also good to hear his kind of uh, big picture takes and, and, and get answers to some of the, um, higher level questions that we had started that dialogue that we had started at the beginning of the season with him about the, the, the overall trajectory of, of the club. And I, I think Jamin, I guess the place to start is that it's positive. Both of them, uh, both of them. I, I think that the takeaway was that it was uh, it, it was a successful season and they were still disappointed. I think it was a, a success and disappointment was, was kind of where they, they left us was that, that was your takeaway as well. I, I assume. I yeah, I would say so. I would say that, you know, again, the, the bar was was kind of set low in saying that they're going to make the playoffs. And I don't recall if we knew the format or we didn't at the time that that Lucci had uh, made that prediction. I feel like had the bar been set at like seven or eight, the team would have been more aggressive in certain decisions in the last few games down the stretch. They would have played in a different way. So I know it's easy to get kind of hung up in that finishing position of ninth, but um, I think if the position had been eighth, if it had been seventh, 
I think we would have seen kind of a bit more risk, a stronger push. So Satish is saying, you know, barely, barely a passing grade for Lucci in his first season. I'm going to say passing, but like C, right? Like, I feel like he, he passes because he, he met what he said he would meet. But now, of course, we should expect that the stakes should be raised. Although he had kind of a comment about that uh, for us when we when we met with him uh, with Quake's Epicenter as well in terms of those expectations. Jim, I feel like there's some general generational divide here. And before we go into kind of all our, our ratings for the season, I feel like we need to clarify what we mean by these C's and A's and B's because in my generation with, with what they call great inflation, getting a C on the scorecard is a, a severe cause of, of concern uh, and, and you know, reason, reason for panic here. So, so for me, I'll say, I'll say passing grade, I'll give it a solid B. Uh, for the for the season you know you've 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 uh, kind of achieved what they set out to do but you didn't really impress anybody or or, or show anybody something that they, they weren't expecting and, and and that's that's the most that i'm i'm probably going to give them i i was excited i i i wasn't the only one jamin who was getting feisty in the press conference as well jamin i think you asked lucci a question that was pressing him on those last few games of the season and whether or not they could have been more aggressive. I mean, I, I think that the answer is yes. And I, I think, I, I don't know. Did he, did you feel satisfied with the way that he acknowledged that or, or did you feel that, that he left some, some wiggle room there? Oh, I, I you know, I, I feel like he gave us the, the answer he's going to publicly give. I think behind closed doors, there's going to be a different set of, you know, answers, a different set of conversations than what they're going to, talk publicly. I, I think setting the bar at playoffs, they're going to say, check, we, we, we hit that particular bar. And now it's, uh, it's going to need to be, and what Lucci described it as is um, kind of an ongoing process. And, you know, the way that he wanted to evolve was to get better in certain aspects of the game. And if we do those things, we should improve. Now, how much do we improve? Well, he kind of indicated that he's expecting some improvement, but he's he doesn't think like we're, they're going to make necessarily leaps next year. But he said, but if by putting in the right process, we may see, you know, that leap happen. And but first, he wants to focus on process. And I think the reason for that is because they're trying to build something sustainable and not like a a one and done, you know, type situation where uh, uh, where you know, the Quakes like, you know, I don't know, get get fourth one season, then all of a sudden the next season they're out of the playoffs. It feels to me like there's a plan for like a a three year improvement process that they've they've got in place here. Well, first of all, there's there's two things I want to address here. First of all, I want to thank Brian, because I think Brian is right here in the comments. First season is pass fail. Giving grades feels a, a little bit arbitrary either way. Um, and he passed. I, I, I think Brian's right here. It wasn't spectacular over achievement, but he took it past fail first season and, uh, and he achieved that. Uh, the, the other thing I'll say is that I, I, I understand that there is increasing professionalization in soccer and you know, every club wants to talk about building a sustainable model, which isn't dependent on any given coach or any given technical director or any given president. On the other hand, I, I don't. I don't know if can you can you give examples where that's worked really well, Jamin? Because I I feel like I you know depending on who the coach is is it's still very much 
like three year cycles. I don't know if the Quakes are ever going to get to the point where they are going to, you know, be consistently performing regardless of who the coach is. You can't just take the coach out of the equation here. I feel like they should be planning for a three year cycle here with Fuchi Gonzalez and trying to achieve the max they can achieve. And then acknowledge that after three years, maybe after four years, if he's particularly successful, you reset, you clean slate and you start over with a new philosophy. I don't, I don't, I don't buy the argument that that it's some grand 10-year plan because I feel like that just allows them to kick the can down the road. And they've been doing that for a long time now um, by saying, oh, it's a we're thinking long-term. We're being smarter than everyone else. We're being big picture here. When in reality, they're just being slow and they're they're not keeping up to pace with everyone else. So so that's that's my concern here. I would rather see them go all out next season and all out a third season. And, and be a little overambitious, given the historical failures that they've had, then try to, to continue hedging and, and couching everything uh, in this kind of like corporate, like, like mumbo jumbo. Does, does that make sense to you? It, it makes sense. I don't think it's a 10 year plan. I think we are looking at a three year plan. Year one was fix the defense, put the structure in. Year two is going to be now add some additional attacking punch get the goals back. Uh, and we heard it from Chris Leach. They were disappointed in the goals output and they would like to get back. And I don't know that he gave a number, but let's just say if they got back to 50 goals and they only gave up 45, they would be a plus five on the goal differential side. By the way, Alex, if you're seeing good comments, feel free to just start popping some up. Uh, well, here. I was just seeing people agreeing with me. So I can, I can yeah. those. Yeah, people agree with Alex. That's great. No, I don't think, I don't think it's a, a 10 year plan, um, but I do think it's a three year plan. I also think that there's going to be, um, it, you know, an evolution and not a revolution in the roster. And one of the reasons for that is there's there's actually very few like hard contract terminations coming up outside of the loans, uh, which Matthew Hoppy's loan ends, you know, at the end of the season. Um, I believe Jack Scahan's final option, um, or Jack Jack Scahan. I uh, trying to say that correctly. Um, Jack Skane's final option is also coming up, so he would need a new contract. I think Paul Marie uh, is at the end of his, but I've heard that either one's in the works or it's actually been done. I've, I've, I've kind of heard a couple different things there, so I'm not sure which is which is actually more current and recent. Um, but, you know, you've got the big one hanging over you, which is Rodriguez. We did learn. Um, my, I, my, my first question to Chris Leach was about the Rodriguez situation and uh, you know, basically trying to find out, hey, are you guys going to try to pick up pick up this um, this loan, you know, and turn it into a permanent transfer? You know, how much is that transfer fee? Is it going to put him up into the DP range, which was kind of my fear? And the answer from Chris Leach was a resounding, no, it will not put him in the DP range. I pushed him a second time. He gave gave us a flat answer on that, which is good. Now we know that, you know, more than likely Rodriguez, if they execute that, would stay in the TAM range. And uh, I think that's fine. I think as the best defensive player outside of Danielle on this team, um, you know, I think it's perfectly fine to, to have him up in that TAM range. And, and I, you know, fully support uh, trying to bring him back next season. So obviously that's a piece of business they need to get done, which will take some of the budget, you know, and then hopefully a lot of it's going to attacking after that. I, I don't I don't think he confirmed it, but but I think the way that, that Leach was I, talking, I, 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 pressed, I pressed him and I said, "Are are you unable to say the level 
if you executed it and he said he would not be a DP. Yes. No, no, no. I, I know that part is true. But the, yeah. the question I was referring to the bigger picture question is whether they commit and bring him back. And he, he wasn't oh, willing yeah, to confirm no, he did, that. He did not. But I think that the did way not. he was talking made it very clear that that was his intention. I, I think he, he was willing to confirm that they were wanting to consider doing that. So so he was he was willing to get very close, I think, to making that commitment. I, I assume it's just a, a kind of a, a matter of, of agreeing personal terms with him. Still, still reminding everyone, Patreon, if you're not on the Patreon, get on the Patreon. And the reason for that is because we do have this exclusive postseason interview with Lucci. We're describing it a bit, but you're going to want to hear it yourself because we're not going to talk about everything. We're not going to give away all the answers uh, that we talked about because, you know, we dug in a little bit on a couple topics, but we also had some fun questions. You're going to want to hear the answers to those fun questions. Too. I couldn't I couldn't do them justice. Lucci Gonzalez has mastered the 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 kind of Greg Berhalter vocabulary here. He studied <laughs> the, the the Greg Berhalter school of soccer tactics and he knows how to speak the speak. I don't I don't know how to I think to, he knew how to speak the speak that, before the, Greg though. Uh, what's that? I think he knew how to speak the speak before Greg though. I think that's the wow. way he's he's kind of always talked and then him and Greg found some common ground and he maybe learned a few new I mean, he credits, to say or whatever the credits case is, Greg but. fairly often. He says, whenever he says any fun kind of soccer vocabulary or new concept, he goes, and I learned this somewhere. I learned this uh, with Greg. He, he, he gives Greg a lot of credit for, for his, his coaching kind of. Yeah, chops. for those of you who do not like Greg Burhalter, you know, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of problems if Lucci can't push this team up much higher in the standings next season because he definitely. He definitely uh, gives a lot of credit to Greg for changing his perspective on a few things. Specifically, I would say the two things that seems to have the biggest impact um, is the way that Greg um, prepares for matches in, and the way that he kind of uh, makes sure that every person understands their role. Um, those two things, th those things, he's def they're definitely similar on. Um, or he's picked up from from Greg. And the other thing that he gives him credit for is kind of teaching him how to put in the, the defensive structure because he wasn't a great defensive coach and FC Dallas wasn't a great defensive team. They were middle of the road, um, you know, back, back uh, when he was at FC Dallas. And the second and third years, things got worse as players went out, including Garezzo, um, and went out of the team. And um, they didn't do a good job replacing. So those are the two things that he does seem to give a lot of credit. He talks about the line breaking passes and things. And he probably picked that up from from Greg as well. Um, there was a question about uh, a contract. Let me uh, let me just try to see if I can uh, find that and get the answer. Uh, by the way, if you have questions, put them in the chat. We will try our best to answer as many of them tonight as possible. And interact with you let's see i, th I think um, given given our conversation with 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 chris jamin maybe maybe we jump into the contract questions here and the, the roster building elements here uh and and we start with that as a as opposed to oh, some Nathan, of the, that's what it was um, any idea if if breakdown yeah so this is this is the one i was looking for any idea if if nathan is is staying and what we what we believe is true about nathan is that he um he is uh, got a contract through 2023 with an option for 2024. So believe they can pick up that option and uh, they can keep Nathan next year. That's something that we'll find out when the team makes the end of season roster decisions. 
and the deadline date for, I believe, those roster decisions. Alex, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was December 1st. I'm not looking at the that's right. list right now, but I think that's right. So the, so the, the thing I'll say here is that I, I think you, you actually have to consider kind of the internal roster dynamics a, a, a little bit more than maybe you usually would because Danielle, Rodriguez, Nathan, and Judson are all quite close. Uh, and, you know, they're the four Brazilians on the squad. I think they're all native Portuguese speakers. They're personally very good friends and I think really have helped support each other here in San Jose. And Daniel talked, has talked about this. They posted on social media about this, how, how, how that is a really tight-knit group within the squad. Uh, and I don't know if, if Danielle would have had as much success this season if there had been no other uh, you know, Brazilian players on the team, if he hadn't felt as comfortable in the locker room because of, of those players. So, so I would assume that one of them stays, right? That, that Daniel is going to stay because he's the best player on the earthquakes this season, hands down. But they have three players who are, who are you know, uh, you know up, up for renewal, which is Judson, Nathan, and Rodriguez. Uh, my assumption is that one of them stays if only because they are a tight-knit group in the locker room and to break them all up like that would, would kind of be bad mojo. That's, that's my guess. You know, there's lots of reasons to keep Rodriguez that is one of them. So I, I, I think it's pretty much a lock that they keep Rodriguez yeah. at this point. Um, the good news is for with Nathan, Nathan Judson, is- my, my instinct would be no. My instinct would be Nathan in 2022 was not a good center back partner for Rodriguez. They both play too aggressively together. That doesn't work well. My instinct would be not to bring back Judson either because I think he's past his prime. I think he has been for a few years now. With that said... If there is one reason to keep one of them around, it would be to keep that core group of players who who who, who like each other so much together. So so that is working in their favor. I don't know if that's enough to justify bringing back Nathan or Judson. Do you, do you think there's any argument, Jamin, for, for bringing back either of those two players? The argument for bringing back Judson is he's on a much more attractive contract than he was before. Um I'm not even sure. Let me just uh, let me just see kind of what we got here. Um, he's uh, he's not a TAM player, you know. He's in, in effect uh, he's a, he's a senior roster player, but it's it's not a large contract. And I think the uh, this the salary budget chart, the uh, salary budget on him or base salary, I should say, is uh, two hundred fifty thousand. So it's not an expensive contract uh, from that perspective. And what you have to think about is what quality can you get in a similar price range for a defensive midfielder? And if you let him go, then you kind of commit yourself to having to put resources in to be able to sign another defensive midfielder. And either you decide, hey, one of these guys from Quakes 2, homegrowns who've been playing down there is ready to step up. Um, like a Cam Silly or something like that. Um, but you have to kind of make decisions in terms of like who becomes the backup defensive midfielder because we know Garezo is going to probably get called in for national team duty uh, from time to time and and probably pick up enough yellows to uh, to have a suspension here or there. So you kind of have to plan for a, def- uh, a backup defensive midfielder. Jamin, the, 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 the name who's kind of, you know, conspicuously missing from these conversations is, is Michael Valdissimo because he was signed at the beginning of the season to be that player, to be a backup central midfielder. And he 
got not six. solid minutes in those first few games of the season. He was playing in the home opener. He was playing in the first few games, and then he completely dropped off the radar altogether. So I don't know what his contract situation is, but I would assume that he is also up for renewal. I would assume that they signed him on a one-year deal. Is that right? He's, 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 a, he's a homegrown. So he's on a homegrown contract, which makes him more attractive to be able to keep because they were able to retain that. He also doesn't require an international slot because he is a homegrown. And so right, you know, that did. makes his, his base, I'm just kind of finding his base contract. His base salary is, is a little bit over 85,000. So it's but if he's, if he's nowhere near the, the starting 11, which he's clearly not, then no, I, I don't would, think he is right now. I would say that they should, I, I would say that given you have two of them, I would say you can move both of them off the books and then use that money to, get an upgrade right with both of with the 85,000 from Baldissimo and the what a 225,000 from Judson you can pull that together to get a slight upgrade in that position and uh, then free up another roster spot for for somebody else and and I think that would leave them with more than enough depth in midfield they already have Gresso, Jackson Ewell they have Jack Skein they have Nico Shakiris they have Jameer Montero or another midfielder in there that they'll sign I think they have enough depth in there to, 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 to be able to consolidate both of those players into one position. Does, does well, I think Jack Skane needs a new contract. So he needs uh, a new contract. Is that what we're saying? Well, yeah, give Jack sure Skane a new I'm contract. I'm pretty sure he's, pretty sure he's deserves his money. option here. I'm sorry. Draft pick. They, they, they need to give him his money. Jack Skane deserves, a, 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 you know, at least a $300,000 deal in, in, in my books. He was the, the single most exciting player on the Earthquakes team in the, the latter half of the season. And one of the things that we talked to Luchi Gonzalez about in our, uh, our exclusive interview with him uh, was, was the identity that he, he wants to, uh, to help form uh, in this team. And, and I was asking him, you know, you have defensive structure, right? The defensive structure was the big year one project and they achieved that. They no longer allowed 69 goals. Part of that is Daniel. Part of that is because they actually have an organized way of playing defense now. Uh, but what do they do next season? Because it wasn't clear what, what their kind of attacking identity was. They counterattacked sometimes. Sometimes they possessed the ball. Sometimes they played 2-5-2. Sometimes they played 4-2-3-1. But in possession, uh, they didn't really have one coherent identity that they stuck with. They did everything a little bit. They did all of it kind of mediocre they didn't do anything really well and and ultimately that that you know wasn't good enough for a, a seventh place spot that's why they settled for ninth is because they couldn't uh, they couldn't figure out how they wanted to play going forward and the thing that lucci said the, the 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 word that lucci kept coming back to um and you know it's a it's it's kind of greg burhalter speak it's a little vague uh, it doesn't give you an exact answer he wasn't as clear as saying we are going to play directly through the middle and that's how we're going to score goals he wasn't saying we are going to press high. He said they wanted to create pressure in lots of different areas of the field. And, you know, pressure can mean a lot of different things. It can mean pressing high. It can mean sitting in a low block and, you know, double teaming and, and overwhelming people with numbers. Uh, it, can, it can mean a lot of different things. But I will say that the one person who kind of personifies pressure on this team is Jack Skein. And he's the guy who is constantly running at players, who's constantly creating, who's constantly moving the ball forward. He is putting teams under pressure. And for that reason, I think he is one of the guys that you need to build around in this center midfield. And, and he deserves this 
uh, this roster spot. So, so yeah. if you if you talk to me about the midfield, because I think it's pretty clear that the for the roster building project, two big areas to focus on are the midfield and the left wing. And uh, in the midfield, I think I think as we've just said, you you keep Shakiris, you keep Yule, you keep uh, Gresso, and you keep Skane. That's four players, and then you get a big DP number ten. And the guys that you let go are Baldissimo. You let go of Judson and you let go of Jameer Montero. And I think that will give you enough resources to, to go and get that, that big number 10 that you need and, and maybe another backup as well. And depending upon the price for, for Nathan as well, I think you need to decide if that, that makes sense. Okay. So let's get into maybe a few of these questions, Alex. Um, Phil starts us off. He says he'd like to hear your takes on Benji Kakanovich. Now uh, we learned from Tom Bogert. Uh, the other day that uh, Benji signed a new deal. And based upon the information I've been able to glean on this, it was actually signed quite some time ago and was not announced. And a part of that was because he was going through injuries and such at the time. And, uh, and then uh, he was uh, due to come back and, uh, and then got another injury. So it just kept kind of getting punted down the road, but it probably would have gotten revealed if not by Bogert at the time that the, uh, um, contract announcements and everything, you know, the roster decisions were made. Sometimes we hear about new deals that happen when those roster announcements are made. Maybe that's when we'll hear about Paul Marie as well, um, or maybe even a Jack Skein. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see kind of what happens between now and December 1st. But Benji Kikanovich, tough last season, really good, really impressive. We were talking about Benji two years ago, like we're talking about Jack Skein now, the guy that kind of you know, would push that back line and be able to make things happen uh, when it felt like nothing else was was happening on the pitch. Last year seemed to be a bit injury bit. Um, and then maybe that affected his performance, his groove. You know, maybe he just had an off year. That happens a lot with wingers in MLS. Um, you know, what's your take right now on Benji Kakanovich and how does the Matthew Hoppy situation sounded like maybe Matthew Hoppy on his Instagram was saying goodbye? Kind of unclear. I don't read too um, much into the Instagram. You know, what, what's your what's your take on Benji Kikanovich at this point, Alex? Um, I you know I I I I don't know what the future holds for 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 Benji Kikanovich. A part of me is skeptical that uh, he is going to find success in San Jose. I think he very clearly got off on the wrong foot uh, with Luchi Gonzalez. I think all parties would would probably admit to that. Uh, I think that the Quakes handled his situation poorly in the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the offer that he got from Athens poorly. And that partly contributed to some of the tension. I think he reacted to that poorly is, is, is my understanding. So I got a new contract. So, so apparently so, the noise helped him get a new contract because he didn't get moved. It, it, it started the season poorly. Um, but I can understand his contract before was, was, was meager. And, and we can go back to the, the, the 2022 salaries here, but, but I, I, I think he was one of the lower paid players uh, on the sky. Yeah, He's making like $91,000 a year. So, so he was paid given his contributions in, in, in 20, you know, 2022. And, and the fact that he was one of the top goal scorers and, and, and he was one of the brightest players in the same way Jack Skane was this season, you know, he deserved a, 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 a you know, a, a salary raise there because um, yeah, that, that, that was a, a bad deal that he was on. And, um, you know, even now, I think he's, you know, worth more than that, um, even even after a, a quiet season from him. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, that that, you know, they gave him that that new salary. 
Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, 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 uh, you know, there's, there's still an opportunity for him to succeed here with, with Luchi Gonzalez. Um, he, he very clearly was not on the same wavelength as Luchi this season. And I wouldn't be surprised if they still try to move him uh, this, this off season. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I don't think that's out of the picture, even, even with a new contract, I don't think it's out of the picture that, um, that, you know, other clubs come, come calling for him. I know last season he impressed a lot of people uh, and, and, you know, maybe part of the reason the Quakes won up that deal was so that they could get a, a better transfer value for him. So they didn't risk losing him as a, a free agent. So, so that is, uh, I, I would say that that would make more sense for me than, than, you know, offering him a, a new contract because they see him as being the solution at left wing. I, I think it's pretty clear that that's not the, the trajectory that he's on. Yeah, he, he and he may not be. It's possible that they're going to see him as more of the of a backup nine. Um, uh, and so, you know, we'll see. I'd be happy with that. I, I you know, I, 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 I'd be happy with him as the backup nine. I think I, I don't know, Jamin, can you can you remind me what the Iowa Canola contract situation is? Because he was on 700,000 and that's definitely yeah. not worth keeping. And so if you move Akinola and you put Benji as the backup nine and he's looked comfortable there when he's played before, I, I think that's a, a great place for Benji to land. If he decides he wants to stay in San Jose and give it another shot with Lucci, I think that that probably makes sense because, uh, you know, he, he has a similar profile, I think, to, to, to Jeremy Abobasi. And, um, you know, as we saw this season, Jeremy Abobasi can't go 90 minutes for 34 games a year and continue to score goals. He needs yeah. he needs options up top, and, and Benji Kandovic could be one of them. So Io Akinola, his contract is through 2024, but remember, he's a loan, so his contract is actually with Toronto FC. Um, yeah. And he also has a the benefit of a U22 designation, as does Matthew Hoppy, by the way. They both are, from a salary cap uh level uh they filled in the final two u22 spots that the quakes had which meant against the cap they were only hundred and fifty thousand dollars however that you know on the actual salary and not sorry not the salary but the actual like you know budget of the club the club is paying out these loans to the tune of six hundred seven hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is so um i think like that element of it is a bit um, you know, kind of problematic because that takes money away from potentially uh, a, 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 an upgrade, let's say, at the left wing position or an upgrade at Jamiro Montero's position. Look, Jim, just because somebody's on a home run deal or on U22 doesn't mean they're worth keeping around. I feel like so often, you know, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing out that they're, they're you know, the, the loan value is the loan cost is much higher than the actual cap hit i'm just i'm just pointing it out so i think i i think whatever whatever the financials are it just doesn't make sense to keep him around if he's if he's not going to be scratching the starting lineup and i, and I yeah. think it's pretty clear that, that he's not going to be i would i would much i think our biggest point of contention jamin is is matthew hoppy i think that matthew hoppy is 1000 percent a player that you want to keep around next season he was a guy who brought fire he was a guy who brought goals at key moments and I as think a dp to, if to, that Middleborough uh, cost is too high, because it might be. I don't be. think you bring him down as a DP. I, but I think I think a shrewd negotiator could get him on a TAM level deal, and I think a TAM level deal would a thousand percent be worth it. For I Matthew think it, I think it's built into the contract. I don't. Uh, uh, Leach indicated that these buyout clauses are hard, 
they're, they're, there's not negotiation on him. And I think the Middlesbrough buyout is much too high for what his value is. You so think I just there's don't no think way to bring him back money. on a team level deal? I, no, I don't think so. I, th I think it's much too high. I, 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 think it, I think even on Tam, he's too high. I wouldn't pay Tam for him. You can get better players in the league for under $650,000 and pay a lot less. Can you get him as U22 and get him 150 cap it? Different question. But in terms of like the total overall club budget, uh, expenditure budget toward players, um, you can get do much better than 650000 Okay. Well, in that case, that adds more to Chris Leach's to-do list because in that case, they're, they're going to need – you know, a, a player who can, uh, you know, fit that profile. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe then this scenario here is okay. You let IO go, you let Hoppy go, you have Benji, you know, pegged as that backup number nine, and then you use all that IO and Hoppy money and you, and you get a true left winger and a true number 10. Maybe, maybe instead of having one player, Matthew Hoppy, who can kind of play a little bit of both, who likes to play centrally, you have a true left winger and a true number 10. If that's what they, decide to do i think i could live with that scenario jamin um, okay i'm i'm willing to give you that one if, if they let if they if they if they let hoppy go and they don't sign a left winger in a number 10 then i'm going to be mad because then you just let go of a bright young player who reasonably in two three years you could resell to europe for a nice big profit margin and who is going to make this team better next season. So, so if they don't re-sign Hoppy, they need a very, very concrete plan to replace both that left-wing position and that number 10 position. And I think let me ask the, let me ask the question differently, okay. and then let's get to Terry's question here. Would you re-sign him on a DP deal? Yes or no? I, I think I would if they weren't confident they could go out and get a left-winger and a number 10. Okay, a, a DP left wing and a DP. I, I would just I would disagree that he's worth it. Terry uh, says, "Do we sign a backup goalkeeper or hope Daniel doesn't get hurt?" So basically, this is because of the JT Marcinkowski situation. People, you know, who uh, are, have seen you know these injuries in other sports leagues and stuff, believe JT could be out all or, or most of at least next season. So, do you go with Emmy? as your backup and give the youngster a chance if Daniel does get hurt or is it's another red card, which I think he got one or two this season. Um, you know, and, and you give Emmy that chance to get MLS starts and uh, use it to build experience. Um, or do you go get a, uh, another backup keeper and, you know, even one that, you know, once JT comes back is not going to be of value to you, which one do you go with? <sighs> I, I really want to believe that, that Emmy is ready for that, that move. Uh, but I, I, I don't think he's, he's there yet. I, I think from all of the you know, people that I've, I've spoken to and I've heard who regularly go to you know, Quake's two games and, and watch Emmy, uh, he's not ready to make that leap. And, and uh, so I, I, I think the prudent thing to do would be to sign you know, a, a backup MLS keeper, kind of a, a Matt Bersano type uh, who is going to, you know, uh, provide serviceable minutes uh, if you if you need to, you know, call on them. I, I think that's the, the solution here. They're going to want three keepers on the roster anyways. It's not like they're going to just, uh, uh, you know, go in with, with two keepers. So, so they're going to fill another position anyways, and, and they might as well do it with someone who they're confident in. Um, you know, I if it's the difference between 150000 and two hundred. Two hundred thousand dollar contract. I, I think 
you know, that's, that's worth it to sign somebody who you can have a little bit of confidence in. Fans seem, fans are saying that they would be happy with a, probably a, a, G, a, a goalkeeper through the draft. Um, so you get somebody, you know, who's maybe physically developed and, you know, kind of like an Andrew Tarbell can, can be an understudy and uh, get uh, training directly from Aiden Brown, who's been known as being one of the best goalkeeper coaches in the league. Um, and yeah, Fair. maybe, uh, maybe, you know, you, you give it, take a shot on a draft pick and if they don't work out, they go to quakes too. And if that doesn't really work, then of course, you know, they, uh, probably would, would cut them after the first uh, season or two, whenever the contract, uh, would allow them to. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think the real, the real, yeah, the real solution here is just to have a personal bodyguard following Danielle at all times and making sure nobody's getting in with within six feet of, of Danielle on the field so that he doesn't, doesn't get injured. They need to, uh, over-insure those, uh, those wrists and those arms and those legs that, that he's got, um, so that he stays healthy and, and, you know, they have the, the best goalkeeper in, in major league soccer. Yeah. Ner- nervy times in that, uh, game against, uh, sporting Kansas city there in the wild card when he went down a couple times in that game and, you know, we saw Emmy warming up, um, you know, no offense to Emmy, but, you know, you thought your chances were low against Tim Milia in, uh, in the penalties, you know, try, uh, try with, with, without Daniel as well. So that would have been problematic. Look, I, I still don't think it would matter, Jamin. I think that throwing Emi Ochoa in there might have been, you know, out of left field. It might have been a element of surprise. Just don't let Jackson take the, on the PK. Head. Just don't let Jackson take the PK. That, that's that's all I said. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He only said made one save. He didn't save three this time. All right. So Jackie says, does the league raise the cap and add a DP for Miami? So one thing for everyone to probably be aware of is there already has is some raises built into the structure of the CBA. So I believe it's an 8%, you know, raise depending upon different tiers and such. And also I believe they are reducing TAM year over year and eventually are planning to phase out TAM and go completely uh, to GAM. I, I think that's the plan. So um, the, the basically the league is already, I think, raising the cap next year, 8%. Um, adding a DP for Miami, the answer is no. And, uh, you know, uh, they're not at the, the, any deal that they're going to do in, in Miami, um, you know, that, uh, for, for, for DPs at this point is, uh, is going to be something that that'll come in on a TAM. So they will not be adding a DP for it. I know everyone's very, very concerned about this, but there's a lot of people watching this. It's not like it's just going to happen in Miami. It's going to hide it uh, in the books like they did before. All right. Um, how are we on the striker depth position? Are we good or should we go and look for a striker? Alex, you spend money on a backup striker. You mentioned Ayo Akinola doesn't seem to be the answer. Let him go. Your other options are kind of, you know, uh, Benji. And let me just kind of think here because my mind's a little past the season already. Just uh, look at uh, who There's else, else. Kind of fit that There's mold on the roster. Sunny Buddha. No. Um, anyone no. else that would kind of fit into, into no. that spot? No, I, I'm fine with, I'm fine with that spot going to Benji Akinovich. Jeremy, okay. you know, Jeremy Obobese is, you know, I think, a, a above average striker in, yes. in major league soccer, you know, he can, has consistently converted goals, especially when he's been given good service, I think, and I'm going to hammer home on this. They need a true DP left winger and they need a true DP number 10. 
and they shouldn't go and get a bunch of mediocre players in every position. They should get two fantastic game changers in those positions because that's where we're at at this point, right? If there's one big takeaway from this season is they have good structure. They don't need to reinvent the wheel next season. They just need game changers. They need players who are going to play directly, take the game by the scruff of the neck, put the ball in the back of the net. We're going to offer different goal threats other than Christian Espinosa and Jeremy Abolisi. They need two guys who are going to make the difference, who are going to be able to drag them into, you know, fourth or fifth place. And, and that needs to be a left winger and a number 10. And I think the number 10 job is easy. You have Jack Skane, who's ready to, I think, carry some of that weight and you get Jimmy or Montero off the books and, and really get, uh, you know, a, 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 a number 10, a creative number 10, who is direct, who likes to dribble, who likes to counterattack quickly, right? The, the problem with Jameer Montero and, and, you know, I, 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 I want to thank at this point Jameer Montero for the, you know, the two seasons that he's had in San Jose, because I genuinely think he has been one of the more entertaining players to watch. He's been sure. skillful. Uh, he's, you know, I think especially last year was a really, really key part of this offense. He always works hard on defense, but he's a floater. He's a floater. He likes to play in the half spaces. He likes to press in weird angles at off times. And then he likes to sit on the ball and find these kind of counterintuitive passes. And Arturo is right. He doesn't fit the need. He doesn't fit the profile of the player that Luchi Gonzalez needs in that position. That was really obvious this season. He was holding the Quakes back. They need number 10, you know, ready-made for Luchi Gonzalez's team. And so that's easy. The, the conversation that's not easy, Jamin, is what to do with Cade Cowell. Because you can say, go get a DP left winger, but does he then take Cade Cowell's place? My answer is an emphatic yes. I think that Cade Cowell would benefit from more competition there. He's better as a super sub anyways, and the Quakes can't bank on him for another season. He showed this season and last season that he is not the guy who's going to score five to 10 goals for you in that position. He didn't do that last season. He, in fact, 2022 got usurped by Benji Kukanovic in that position. 2023, he got usurped by Matthew Hoppy in that position. There's been two seasons in a row where Cade Cowell has fallen below expectations. And the question that I asked that, that you know, uh, Chris Leach at the press conference, because this is really the first time that we were able to, to, to speak to him about why he rejected the Bologna offer is why are you keeping him? What is the master plan for Cade Cowell? In my opinion, his growth would be better served at another club. He's played a hundred games in major league soccer already. I don't think he has any more growing to do in San Jose. Everybody agreed. Chris Leach said it. Luchi Gonzalez said it. He has more to do. He has more things he needs to improve. He has a lot more growing to do before he can fulfill his potential. That is true. San Jose, I don't think is the right place for him to continue to do the, do that growth. I think it's, it's gotten a little stale in San Jose for him. I think he's not got a good rhythm going. I think kind of changing that routine would, would serve him really well. Getting a new challenge with new expectations in Europe would be really good for him. And I think Chris Leach kind of admitted that, Jamin. He's willing to say a move could be good for, for, for Cade Cowell. Everybody knows at this point, nobody's deluding themselves, that, that, that you know, Cade Cowell's been very clear. He wants a move. At the beginning of the season, he said his goal was to get a summer move. He was targeting last summer for a move. I think that meant that they should have sold him to Bologna and taken the Bologna offer. Chris Leach disagrees. He was very adamant, more adamant than I've ever seen him, that that was not 
uh, beneficial deal for the Quakes and that the publicly reported information about a $3 million offer with up to $5 million in compensation. It's publicly reported by Tom Bogert, Jeff Carlisle. I have sources that confirm that. Multiple sources, not just one place that confirms kind of broadly that is the, the terms of the deal that they were offered. Yeah, the, the, the offline is very offline adamant that that is not that, true. Yeah, the offline emphasis was that it was a loan deal and it was not good for the club. Yes, that's um, the offline emphasis. But but I still think Chris Leach was kind of hinting that that maybe they're looking for a, a move this winter or that they all know that this move needs to happen. Yeah, you know, I, I think like the way that Chris you know says things kind of kind of gets in the way of what he means at times. Um, and, you know, he said that, you know, he's not opposed to, you know, making moves of players outside the league. And honestly, like, it, you know, kind of would flip that. It would be like, we are looking for opportunities to move players because we know that's going to bring in the gam that's going to allow us to be able to do more things. I am personally, my opinion is that teams should turn over players regularly, even if they take some bad deals. Because the flow of money and also showing your young players that uh, are coming through the academy players that you will move your academy players and be able to get them into different areas, I think is key for the growth of the academy. Otherwise, you're just going to sign a bunch of homegrowns and they're going to sit there. So you have to be able to demonstrate that you can you can move players and you have to create the space for new players coming through the academy system and turning into into homegrowns and starting off at Quakes too, and then being able to make the move as soon as they're able to. Look, I I, the, I have the exact quote. The exact quote from from Chris Leach is that a move for Cade would do him well, and we're open to that. But it has to be the right situation in the right time. I think I think if it's not this winter, it it should be next summer. Um, and you know they think I think the Quakes think they were very clear that the window is still open for him here especially if he keeps, if he gets an, another national team appearance or two, but I think it's going to be hard for him to continue to get national team appearances, call-ups if he's still in San Jose and if he's not scoring for San Jose. So I think everybody knows that they need to plan for him to move. And that, that means that starts this winter, that starts this winter with bringing in another DP left wing to, to kind of preemptively push him out the door and to get him moved to Europe that he wants. So, but you're only, so that's, you're only that's giving one, one side of what Chris said. The other side of what Chris said is that the most important thing for a player his age is playing time, that you could do a player like him a disservice by moving him to a place where he's not going to get playing. He's not getting playing time in San Jose. He started answering the question. And then he gave the, what you said, which is, you know, that he, he could also be enhanced by a move to somewhere yeah. else, but only if he's getting that playing time. I don't, I don't, I, I don't buy that because, because and the reason I don't buy that is because the reason they rejected the Bologna move is not because it wouldn't have been good for Cade. Cade wanted that move. His, his camp really clearly wanted that they move. They thought it was bad for the club. Um, they thought it was bad for the club, right? I think that was lip service. And, and, and I don't think, I, I think that that move would have been better for Cade at this point in his career. And look, he's not getting, consistent playing time in San Jose either they're in an well, ideal he situation he wasn't he'd performing be, and they had a better a, option he'd be a super sub right I, I I don't see that as a convincing reason to keep him in San Jose because he's getting playing time he's had a hundred appearances in major league soccer he doesn't need more playing time he needs a different challenge at this stage in his career uh and so yeah I mean Akash right they gave Cade plenty of playing time here it's not the playing time that that's that's an issue with uh with Cade and and so, yeah, that's that's the Chris Leach has quite the the bucket list here, the the to do list this 
winter. Uh, Jamin, I think there's a, there's a lot of pressure on, on him to get it right. This is year two for Luchi Gonzalez, and there's pressure on them to improve on, on this season's result. In order to do that, it's about giving Luchi the players he needs to succeed and, and setting up this roster for success. So this is, I think this is going to be one of the kind of defining uh, windows in, in, in Chris Leach's tenure as a, a San Jose Earthquakes co- uh, general manager. And um, yeah, I, I think that, that, you know, this is a really, really critical uh, window for him to, you know, to prove his, his general manager chops. Oh, and he offered you a personal conversation to talk to you about the, uh, the K transfer, uh, you know, numbers and things like that. It sounds like, okay. So, uh, and publicly he said that, um, okay. I've seen something about Maxi Rudy to the quakes. I'm not high on that. What do you think? Uh, it's actually been debunked. This is a fake rumor. Um, is it true that Maxi Rudy had a picture on his Instagram? I think it was that showed earthquakes at the very top with him, like with arrows, you know, and, and I guess a bow or whatever, looking like he's a hunter and he's hunting the earthquakes or something like that. Uh, it was actually just a poor choice of background um, uh, that, that, that he put into there. It had nothing to do with any sort of actual transfer move potential to the quakes or anything like that. In fact, at this point in the off season, team clubs are not even allowed to talk to players at this time. There's a schedule for all these things. Um, that uh, that indicates you know when clubs can begin conversations with players who are out of contract and things like that. So no, I mean, Max they don't, is not they don't they don't need a player who's only once scored more than ten goals in a decade long. one last season. They, it, it doesn't make any sense. He's got one of the worst uh, conversion rates of any striker in the history of the league. He had one good season, and every other season he's been poor. So. That, that shows you a little bit about, you know, kind of like sometimes, you know, players get that magic and then all of a sudden, like, it goes back out again. So uh, that's what's happening with Maxi or Rudy. No, I don't. I think he's I think he's not a good, uh, not a good player. Benji, greater than a Ruti. I agree with Philip Leva. OK. Um, all right. So, um, yeah. And uh, Crystal. Jamin, okay, okay. The the questions you're ignoring some comments here, Jamin. You're conveniently ignoring the comments asking about a Chicharito move to San Jose. Is that because you're not taking those seriously? No. Why would I take that seriously? Well, I there have been there have been not a serious comment. It's a there have been many 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 a Twitter uh, uh, user here that's that's been saying he could end up at a club like San Jose or a club like Austin or so what? Or, it's a Twitter user. Like I can I can you can anyone can say anything. It's it's not a real rumor. So, so you no. don't think he'd be a good fit if theoretically no. he were on the table? And why no. is that? No, because they don't they don't need a a poacher style player right now. Right now they need a player who can actually get much more engaged into the into the offense. Uh, of the team than what Chicharito is able to do at his particular age. The answer is uh, the answer is no. I don't think he would be good for this team at all. If if you're concerned about you know the people who raise this are people who are concerned about Jeremy Obobese. I got news for you. Chicharito's below Jeremy Obobese's level at this point in his career. He's going to be injured in over half the games, and you know you're going to pay a lot of money that you could have been paying for a high quality ten or high quality left wing and dumping it into a position where you already got a very good player, absolutely zero reason to do that. So I know people think like, oh, Jibo went from 17 goals to 10 goals. I've already said on 
on uh, the Soccer Hour with Ted Ramey this week why that was. His conversion rate this year is the same as last year, 16%. 16% is a good conversion rate for a striker. This has everything to do with service. He's only getting it from one place. We all know who that place is. He needs to start getting it from more places, and Jibo will be fine. Jamin knows the way. All right, Jamin, if you, if you say no Chicharito, I'll, I'll have to. No Chicharito. I'll have to. All right, uh, let's find another. You got another question that you're seeing that you want to talk about? I'm just, I'm scrolling. So there's probably more questions. I just need to. Uh, why didn't uh, Buddha get a shot given his performances with Quakes 2? Yeah, Asani Buddha, very good, particularly end of the season at Quakes 2. Do you think he should be given uh, more shot with the first team next season, Alex? No, I, I, I've never seen anything from Buddha with the first team that, that indicates that he's going to be a guy breaking into the lineup. What I've tended to see is kind of a, a few performances where he looks lost and defensively out of whack. And uh, I, I, I don't know if he's ready to make the jump. I think that, you know, there might just be guys who will be, you know, ringers for Q2, but not quite ready to play for the first team and kind of get caught in between there. And he seems like the kind of player who's been, been caught in between. Uh, here I, I i wouldn't count on it if for some reason uh he has a major breakthrough and uh you know luchi gonzalez is willing to give him a roster spot and he gets you know on the bench and makes a, a substitute appearance i'd love for that to happen but i you know i i i i i, I just don't think that uh he's he's shown that with the first team yet that that form that he's had uh with the second team yeah and i would say that preseason is his time if he comes in with a really strong preseason and shows what he's capable of, um, such as Nico Shakiris did, such as Jack Skein uh, did, but you know both of them unfortunately both went through some some injuries and things like that that uh, you know pushed out both of them getting onto the field until later in the season. Um, you know he needs to be able to show in preseason that he can step ahead of somebody else uh, to be able to get that opportunity to be like a backup a backup nine. One of the, the, I think the issues here is also that Christian Espinoza is such a lock at the right wing position that players who could be good right wingers. And I would put Buddha into that category. I would put even Cade who could be better on the right side into that category. The problem is not good enough to unseat Christian Espinoza. So a lot of those types of players are gets, get slotted into other places because Christian is so, so strong on the right. So, you know, uh, Asani Buddha, you know, might need to uh, wait a bit for his opportunity or, you know, knock on wood, anything happens with Christian Espinoza uh, with an injury or anything like that. Maybe a player like Buddha would get an opportunity, you know, on the right to be able to show what he can do. Or maybe even Cade Cowell have, would have a chance to move over there and be able to show more on the right side where uh, people have claimed that he's more comfortable. Um, but at the moment with Christian Espinoza so strong, you know, no one's going to make that move. Um, and frankly, almost haven't needed a backup right wing for the last two, three years. You know, the other place where I feel good about the San Jose Earthquakes? For the first time in forever, Jamin. You know what we haven't, the, the two positions we haven't talked about at all on this show? Defensive midfielder? I wish. No, no, it's right back and left back, Jamin. Oh, that right was, back and left back. I don't, I don't know if you remember, Jamin. Back we were in about six for the longest time, but, you know. 2020, that was their Achilles heel. They yep. never had... After uh, Jordan Stewart left, there was five years where they had no adequate replacements. Now, uh, I mean, they're right here. It's, they have two good options, Marie, Trauco, and on the other side of Capo. 
and uh, they don't have to worry. Those are three guys who are, you know, they're not old. They have a lot of uh, uh, legs left in them and they're defensively solid and, you know, offensively um, dangerous. And, and they, they have a good balance between the three of them. They cover most skill sets you'd want and need. And uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, fullback is a position where as long as you're re-signing Paul Marie, it seems like he's happy. He's getting good minutes uh, and he's making an impact. Uh, then uh, you can just check that one off and, and move forward next season, confident in that position. You, you, you have any, any concern about that at all, Jamin? Nope. I, I like those three players and, you know, I hope that the Quakes keep those three players for a while. The one thing just to kind of watch with Trauco is he is his, he is getting now in that declining part of his career. Um, and of course, you know, his time at the national team, a lot of that's now going to Marcos Lopez. Uh, who uh, obviously we all know as well. Um, and so it is something to kind of watch. Like, I do think that there's a point at which um, over the next year or two, Paul Marie might be the reg- better regular option. And it might be that Carlos Correzo could be the backup that can fill in, uh, you know, when necessary. If, if a capo's out, Paul moves over to the right, Traco fills in on the left. And, but Paul Marie, you know, might be able to, to lock down the starting job. And it would be deserved, and it wouldn't surprise me um, if it happened, and, and I'm okay with that. I'm play the hot hands. That's the way I kind of look at it. Whoever is looking the best in, in practice and in games, you know, between those three, you can you can play them in various combinations. 100% right, Jamie. So, so Jamie, I think we've pretty comprehensively walked through in a, in a roundabout way. We've walked through the full lineup <laughs> now. I want to get back to this big picture question before we wrap here, Jamie. Okay, big picture. Uh, and, and oh, Collins, Colin Johnson here is is perfectly teed this up for us. Um, are there certain formations, style of play, or positions that are required to be more successful in MLS? Do the Quakes have that fit at all? I think this question is good because it gets at, at kind of the bigger picture question about San Jose's identity and uh, the direction that they're heading in. And, and that's kind of where we started the conversation. I want to I bring it back there. San Jose have defensive structure. They've checked that box. What do you think they need to, to, to get that attacking? Uh, uh, you know, menace, prowess, uh, and, and take their offense to the uh, the next level. Um, you know, Luchi Gonzalez was talking a little about about pressure. If you you know subscribe to the Patreon, you get access to that exclusive interview. You can hear his thoughts on that question. But Jamin, I want to get your thoughts on that question. Uh, what, what do you think they need? Well, so Luchi's answer to us was they adapt the the way that they're intending to attack based upon where they want to bring pressure against the opponent. So if they want to bring high pressure, they want to pressure the goalkeeper, they want to pressure deep up the field, uh, you know, pressure the center backs, pressure the outside backs on the outlet pass, whatever the case is. What's important is that they have people who are willing to both put in the defensive work as well as are able, if they win the ball up high, to immediately turn that into a, a uh, an opportunity where the defense is scrambling and is not set, and hopefully you have a numeric numeric advantage and you know that's what we we kind of learned from Lucci and that the he's kind of formation agnostic he mentioned like six different formations that they played uh this season in the in when you asked him that question uh Alex and again pointing people toward the uh, Patreon um uh, video that uh, that that we took uh your first question Alex I think kind of got into this and and he was able to really uh talk about that kind of of style so from that perspective, then it's important that they identify the players who are going to work well 
uh, in that press and then be able to attack quickly uh, when the ball is won. We know that, you know, Christian Espinoza, very good at that. We know that Jamiro Montero is a good presser, but he tends to get lost in terms of where to, to take the ball when, when it's lost. Jackson Ewell in the right situation can play progressively um, and uh, he's gotten better defensively. Cade Cowell looks lost when he presses to me. Um, and a lot of people have mentioned that one of the issues with Bobasi is that he's dropping too, too deep. So for me, one of the things that you have to solve is what is that central midfield that you need to have? And that includes the Montero Yule question. And if you're replacing Montero, which they probably are, um, you know, getting the player who can help you press, but also be able to know exactly what to do when that ball gets turned over and take the pressure off of a Bobasi so he doesn't have to drop deep. He can stay higher. I think that that's very key. Also finding uh, the right left wing, um, and I don't think it's Cade, um, but finding the right left wing, it could it could be uh, Benji if he's fully healthy. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to figure out who is that left wing that can provide that kind of press. One of the, the pluses with Jack Skane is that he's actually a really good presser. And when Lucci's brought him in toward the end of the game, quite often it's because uh, he's wanting him to actually uh, not just be able to drive at the back line, but he's also expecting that he's going to chase balls and pressure people. So if you turn Jack Skane into a starter at either that's in the central midfield spot or at that left wing, you know, he might have what you need in order to both press, win the ball, and then be able to go uh, forward. Um, so that's the problem that I think is really important to solve in this offseason, given the response that we got from um, got, got from Luchi Gonzalez directly about what he thinks is the most important aspect of their style is really how they press and they do that selectively differently against different teams so they're not predictable. And, and, and I think, Jamin, if there's one thing that, that I want to see more of, I want to see more direct play through the middle. At the beginning mm -hmm. of the season, look at the LAFC win. You look at some of those early games when they were able to get the ball, the early ball, to Christian Espinosa or Bobasi, get a layoff, and then switch the field, get runs in behind. Uh, they look so dangerous. They were able to do that a little bit more in the second half of the season when they switched to a 3-5-2. Uh, and you had Jack Skane in there. The game against RSL in particular, they were playing direct that way. I think that's when they looked the best, when they moved the ball quickly up the middle, directly forward. And uh, yeah, I, I think it entirely depends on having a number 10 who can pick up the ball, turn it around, and find the right pass going forward. I think our, you know, in RSL, uh, Diego Luna does that for them incredibly well. I think they need a player in that profile. Uh, they, don't, they don't need somebody... Uh, who is is you know gonna you know press as hard as Jack Skane? They don't need somebody who's gonna uh, you know be able to hit uh, a long ball like uh, Jackson Ewell. They need somebody who can get the ball under pressure, turn and find a pass going forward, connect the ball forward, uh, take a few steps on the dribble, and then play a, a pass going forward. They need uh, somebody who can drive with the ball, who can move with the ball going forward, uh, and. If they can have that, then they can play much more directly, and and I think I think that'll that that's that's you know uh, one of the one of the most I think uh, the the easiest avenue through which they can get this offense scoring. That's that's the direction I see this 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 offense going, this club going. Um, I'd be I'd be a little concerned uh, if 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 they were signing players in the, the the winter transfer window who didn't 
fit that profile. Yeah. And also too, I think it's important that they, they get players who have that tactical flexibility that can change around formations. One of the problems I've always felt with Almeida is that he kind of forced everyone into a particular mold in terms of what he could play. And it was very difficult for him to change formations and be able to keep uh, his defensive approach. What do you mean? Jackson, you want center back, Jamin. That was, <laughs> that was, uh... that was great. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, again, Lucci is saying, Hey, we, we play what fits into the particular situation. Sometimes we're going to play three, five, two, sometimes we'll play four, three, three. Sometimes, you know, we'll play, uh, you know, a, uh, a four, two, three, one. And so these different combinations and, and all the different formations that he listed off, if you want to go hear him again, go to the, go to the Patreon, uh, link to be able to watch the video, but all those formations he listed off, he says are in service of how do they want to press and how do they want to attack once they win the ball, you know, where, where they want to be able to put that type of pressure. So for me, it's important to retain that tactical flexibility because no matter what position or sorry, what formation you pick when it's predictable, the other team knows what you're going to try to do. That's when it gets problematic. And the quakes did get predictable at times in this season. And when they looked their best was when they changed things up, when they were, actively looking to be less predictable, change up the formation, change up some of the, the pressing things. Don't assume because you win a certain way means you should come out and play the same way the next game with the same set of players. You have to be able to adapt quickly. One of the things that Ben Olsen got a lot of credit for uh, with Houston this season is that he played to the opponent. Um, he basically would change up their, their tactical approach every game based upon the opponent. So no one knew how Houston was going to play and Houston would use everyone else's schemes kind of against them um, because, uh, you know, they weren't predictable and they found predictability elements in their opponents. Jimmy, I like that approach. You're, you're talking about Houston in the, the past. Then. Their season is not over. They're still, yeah, they're, they're still going. going right? the they might be an MLS Cup for all we know at this yeah. point. So, you know, but I think that's the important that, that's the important point for me is well, to retain that tactical flexibility. Jim, I think that only works for Houston because they have a star uh, video analyst in their their technical team, uh, our our dear friend Carlin Carpenter, uh, who's yes. here on well, the that's show. That's one of the reasons they're so good. Um, yeah, exactly. Right, it's all Carl. We'll we'll give Carl a lot of the credit there. Um, I agree with you. The flexibility is key. Um, I think that they've already shown good flexibility. I I'm not worried about that because I think that Lucha Gonzalez has shown a willingness to adapt, uh, and we saw him change multiple times this season. Uh, and so I think you're right. They can lean into that, but but I think that's already something that that they they kind of have built into to Luigi Gonzalez's game yeah. model. Um, so Jimmy, not one particular formation is what I want to say. I want to have the ability to continuously be able to make changes depending upon the situations. Jamin, the, the the one question I, before we wrap here, uh, questions about the jerseys. I think the Quakes are due for another home jersey next season. Is that right? They're due for a, a new kit. Um, no, it's the away jersey. They're going to turn over the away jersey, right? There, was the, was the home, home jersey new this season? Am I home jersey was new this season. So, um, yeah, the problem with the Clash design, and uh, that was already pointed out, I think, by Crystal, is because the Clash kit was Nike. So they can't, they can't use that. But bring back some elements, some ideas from something like that. You got to have a lighter color kit, you know, with like kind of the, the white and the yellow-ish, greenish color. Maybe. Maybe there's something there. Um, I remember that uh, one of the reasons that they moved everyone to white kits was because of second spectrum um, needing to be able to have contrast between the player 
kits, they did change providers um, for tracking uh, data this, this last season. I don't know if the new system is less sensitive, but it seemed like we saw a bit more color variation in the games this past year. So hopefully that's, uh, you know, good for uh, being able to um, get some interesting, interesting kits. Yeah, I don't know. I, in, in retrospect, I, I appreciate the second spectrum in the work that they do, Jamin. Is it worth sacrificing the soccer kit culture for the soccer data analytics? I, I, I'm not sure that's a bet I'd continue to, to make. I need, I need my nice retro jerseys that I can wear in 20 years, Jamin. Yeah, well, you can see I'm wearing, you know, American soccer analysis tonight. So uh, you, you know where I lean in terms of uh, those types of things. Um, Jack Price, released by Colorado, has how bad is his injury? Jack Price is one of the best set-piece takers this league has ever seen, but he's a statue. So um, I think it's bad enough uh, that, uh, you know, he's, he seems pretty immobile. Won't be surprised if he actually ends up retiring. All right, Jamin. Well, it's it's been a, a great evening. I I, uh, I appreciate everyone hey, great uh, question from the, uh, jumping jump jumping on with us here. Uh, Wanna before we wrap, send everyone, of course, oh, back I, to the Patreon. Yeah, um, and Edgar because, saying, hold another episode. We men mentioned at the beginning, Edgar, since uh, there was a couple people who couldn't make it tonight, and one of them very last second. Um, we did indicate that we may do a second show with a different group, uh, and we'll we'll just have to play that by ear and see what availability is. So we can get more people uh, thoughts thoughts from more people to be able to share with you. Yeah, we're hopefully looking to do that uh, next weekend uh, or, or shortly after that. But uh, in the meantime, we want to refer everyone back to the Patreon uh, with the exclusive interview we did with uh, Lucy Gonzalez. Me, Robert, and Jamin sat down with him for twenty minutes on Wednesday. So that's available to all our patrons, two dollars a month. Uh, in addition, we have some. Uh, uh, videos from the uh, press conference that uh, Chris Leach and Lucci had uh, that day as well. And so all of their takeaways on the, the you know, end of the season and, and their expectations heading into the offseason uh, will, will be there as well. We're also going to host a, a patron Zoom call very shortly. So we get to chat with all you guys, uh, hear all of your fantastic analysis and opinions uh, in the patron zoom call, hopefully within the next few weeks as well, Jamin. So, so look out for that one as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, one of the things that I did is I did drop the link to the press conference into the Slack already. I will, to avoid sending out too many emails today, um, I will send that one out to all the patrons as well tomorrow. It is a private link on YouTube. So you will only be able to get it by getting, uh, the link uh, from us directly. You can either find that in the Slack if you're already in the Slack, um, or I will also send it uh, tomorrow to, to everyone uh, on the patron list so that you can uh, check out all the press conference questions asked by Quick's Epicenter and the other people who are on the call, which included some national coverage uh, from, from ESPN and The Athletic as well. So um, a good set of questions and uh, ones that you'll probably get some insight from. Yeah. Appreciate everyone for joining. We'll see you next time. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Have a good rest of your night. Take care. Thanks for joining the Aftershock tonight.